0: All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor. I'm here with former guest, Calvin. Thanks for having me back. And we have McKinnon on as guest again. What's up? Glad to have you on for this one. Good to see you. And uh, we're doing another Darren Aronofsky film. We've done a couple of his. I think we probably got to get just a playlist going for him. Finish it off, maybe get like Noah
1: and the Wrestler in eventually. Um, Requiem for a Dream. Oh, that movie is tough to get through. <laughs> yeah, that one's good. Um, Oh, he's going to... Oh, what's he coming... Working on next? I think he's the one doing The Whale. Frasier.
0: I am pretty confident you're right about that.
1: I am excited. I
0: want to I see, see Brendan Fraser in more stuff. I watched that uh, Doom Patrol and he's like pretty much his voice acting in it, but I, I think Brendan Fraser should be in stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's his,
0: his story is kind of sad. I don't know if you know much about it. I know he's been hurt on set quite a bit. And so he kind of just stopped doing movies.
1: Yeah. He had like, from what I understand, like really bad, like uh, anxiety, like mental health issues. Like He just oh, stepped away from that. the industry for like a decade or more
0: because of it. I, I had seen, like, back injuries and stuff. But, I, I mean, hopefully it sounds like at least he's gotten the help he needs. And if he feels good to do movies, I, I'd like to see him in more stuff. Yeah. Um, I am excited to talk about this. Uh, I think, at the very least, Darren Aronofsky makes movies that uh, are fun to talk about. Like, there seems to be some kind of controversy or there's, like, different takes you can have on his films. And, you know, if you want to dive deeper and, and come up with your own theories on it, it's neat to talk about those. So I think we have a couple, of like, pretty good ideas on... Uh, maybe different our own different takes on uh what you can pull from this movie and so that's why at the very least i mean we did a podcast on mother and you know there's disagreements in that but i like that movie because it's interesting to talk about i think you got something similar here with black swan so i'm I'm ready to get into this this came out in uh, 2010 it had a budget of 13 million it made 330 million dollars
1: crazy
0: it was super successful and uh I like think part of the reason is, is they, when they marketed it, they showed Natalie Portman and uh, Mila Kunis kissing, and I think you got a bunch of dude bros who <laughs> would otherwise be completely disinterested in a Darren Aronofsky film who went and saw this because they wanted to see girls kissing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm thankfully this movie has a much more depth and is much more interesting than that. So I'm I, I'm excited to talk about it, McKinnon, What did you think of this? You hadn't seen it before, right? No, I haven't. Okay, uh, I, I remember. I think I'd seen it not long after it came out. But what did you think of this one? i thought it was really boring really
2: yeah no i yeah i didn't think there was i didn't think there was much interesting stuff going on at all
0: is that because like visually you didn't find it interesting or like characters you didn't find interesting or or action
2: i thought that they laid out very early on what the movie was going to be about so that wasn't very surprising when
1: anything happened what was the movie about to you to start
2: it was about a girl who grew up very sheltered and has to learn to come out of her shell by the end then that's that's it I think in the most simplest way I could boil it
0: down. That's pretty simple, yeah. That's a really, I would say, shallow take on it because I think <laughs> there's more to it. But I think you you are right. I mean, that's that's certainly an aspect of this movie.
2: Yeah. No, I'm excited to hear what you guys think about it because I, I'm sure I'm sure I'm viewing it in a very very shallow way. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, I I love this movie. I think uh, it's visually really interesting to me. I I think Darren Aronofsky does a really great job in a lot of his movies of how he moves the camera around. And for a movie that's about dancers. Uh, It's really cool to think of this as like the camera's dancing along with them and like having that perspective of it moving. The camera's constantly moving around these characters and it's I think it's done so well. Um, We had a podcast a a couple weeks ago about um, Anonymous Animals and that movie has a lot of handheld cam in it the same way this movie does. But that movie is like it's too shaky and it's too all over the place. There's not anything like interesting going on. This film is so interesting and with all the dynamic kind of movement and blocking and choreography that goes into it, it lends itself to this kind of camera movement. And that's why I really, really like this movie. It also has like great kind of horror thriller, psychological aspects to it. And uh, like I said, it's just, it's nice to talk about Darren Aronofsky movies because there is, there's like a depth to them that make them interesting to talk about. So um, Calvin, what is your first impression of this?
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you compare it to Anonymous Animals because it's really more of the same uh, camera work that we see in Mother. Um, I more meant that as an example of one that's bad and one that's good. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's true. Um, but it's interesting, like how, how it doesn't work very well here with all of the dancing. Um, it's reminiscent of Bob Fosse, um, a big, uh, musical director in the eighties. Um, that was like his concept, like everybody's dancing with everybody. Um, but I, I love, you know, the fountain we've done a whole episode on that. And that's also by Darren Aronofsky. And so I bought black Swan on DVD, like, 10 years ago because I love the fountain so much. And I was you might be thinking, you know, wow, this must be one of his favorites, but I literally have never watched it until this month. Um, so the real reason I wanted to do the podcast was selfishly to go through my own movie backlog. Oh, perfect. (laughs) So mission accomplished so far. Uh, so I've been aware of this movie and the anticipation is built for over a decade and I'm happy to say that the, the payoff was worth it. Oh, good. Um, what? what a cinematic gen- journey into the subconscious so many uh, psychic elements playing out here it's visually arresting with all of these these mirrors oh my gosh the number of mirrors i've had um there was one f- short that i filmed in school it was actually like a a triple reflection of a guy uh hanging himself which you know I kind of had a bit of a reputation in school because I had a lot of like. I would always start out with like, "Oh man, this is hilarious! This is so funny!" And then like, like halfway through, like, like writing out like my shot, like, "Oh, but what if they died?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. Man. Yeah. I made like a, a little sound project of this kid, uh, playing around in the bathtub. Like that was my idea. Like, and I just messed with the sounds and like, and everyone was like, oh wow, that was just so cool. It's just like how you had everything underwater. And like, just so like to clarify though, like he drowned. Right. And I was like, no, <laughs> this is just a child playing around. Like, uh, oh, but it's just like, it's you. Right. So, um, so yeah, seeing things like that with all of these reflections just take me back to my own. Oh, perfect! Uh, my own journey. Like so, whenever yeah, not, uh, like this guy gets mirrors. That's kind of what I was thinking. Um, so I'm very excited to talk about this film because we are gonna be all over the Jung train I'm so today. So excited!
0: We haven't uh, we haven't gone like real heavy with Jung
1: in a long time. So yeah, I just throw them. It. Yeah, I just throw them in here and here and there now because like if you're when the spirit takes you, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like I talk about it too much. I don't want to like uh oversaturate our our normal viewers. I don't right. know who I'm talking about <laughs> there. <laughs> but I also don't I like they're very interesting, weird concepts that a lot of people don't know that like this like the basis of character construction, like uh psychic elements, um uh, Psychoanalysis, uh, like why all of these things exist and the fact that they exist in the first place. So, I want to be sure that everyone understands the basis of what I am talking about and how you can interpret movies. So, we're gonna we're gonna be sure we really lay this out there yeah. this time because well, I've this, listened to some yeah. of our episodes. And I don't feel like uh, I am very clear. I like it. I think this movie <laughs> lends itself to that because
0: there is a huge psychological element to this movie. I think and, absolutely. And so, I, I, I kind of want to start out maybe real quick. Calvin and I have watched Whiplash. I don't think McKinnon has seen it, so we might we'll just have a quick conversation about it. Um, this movie has been compared to Whiplash, at least like kind of the stuff I've looked at is kind of a obsessed um, like artist trying to perfect their craft. And I was wondering because we have a we have a podcast we did on Whiplash, and I don't see like those. I see like on the very on a surface level, I see those comparisons. Yeah. But beyond that, I don't find these films to be like equal
1: or like uh, mirroring each other in any way i wonder what you thought of that yeah you do have those elements of like artistic narcissism like that's a bit of like uh what's driving a lot of these characters is perfectionism the idea of like art um be you're only as good as your last piece so the moment that you aren't uh at the top of your game you're replaced just like beth was um that is a really 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 shallow feeling of this film i don't think this shares any of the elements that make whiplash whiplash because black swan is is like that's that's the surface level but it's really not what the what the point of the film is it's not what it's trying to say it's not what any of the characters functions are it's all about um this this internal dialogue happening with inside of nina um and yeah we'll get we'll get deep into that but. i kind of wanted to have it like that it's like the preamble to be like if
0: that if you think this movie is just about like obsession of a craft like, that's not what this movie's about. And yeah. that's why I kind of wanted to maybe draw that link between this and Whiplash to be like, just to let you know, like, this, if
1: that's what you take away from Black Swan, like, I think you missed what Black Swan is about. Yeah. If yeah. you listen to our other episodes, this is Enemy, uh, mm-hmm. if anything. Almost not quite shot for shot or concept for concept, but so, so similar. Right.
2: Yeah. The climax of the movie and like what the movie is about are nothing alike
1: with Whiplash. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost. It's facetious really. Or hmm? are you being facetious? No, no, he's being serious. Because, like, because that's like, it's almost like redemptive. It's cathartic in the way it. W- w- right, Whiplash ends. Okay. Yeah. I thought you hadn't seen Whiplash. That's why I was.
2: No, I mean, I, I haven't seen it, but I've, I've i mean, I've seen enough of the movie to know what it's. Oh about. right,
0: okay. That's what I'm saying. Is like you, Whiplash. On the surface, you can kind of tell what this is about. I think on the surface, there's much more to Black Swan. But I'm yeah. over here defending McKenna. Yeah. I forgot that he actually hasn't seen
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> But I agree. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, yeah. If you watch the climax of
2: Black Swan and the climax of Whiplash and thought they were about the same thing, you were a yeah. the whole movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: They were both on stage. Oh, man. yeah. They're yeah. just they would...
2: performing. A, yeah. Performing art. But yeah. That's not what those I'm, movies are they're about. All just, they're all just nerds. Yeah, exactly. I
0: love that you brought that up. That is so interesting to think how they end and how they have a totally different feel to them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Despite
1: all of the blood in both of them. Right gosh no i'm so being you, serious yeah now. no i know yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, I, sometimes i can't tell with you because like you're just like oh god calvin i just hate everything talking. you say just
0: to- <laughs> yeah to just kind of set the tone <laughs> of like what this kind of review is going to be about uh i like i like kind of drawing that comparison or lack of i guess comparison between the two the distance between them yeah. right um i kind of want to move again into the the look what i mentioned earlier is just how well the camera moves around. Um, it's, it's handheld, but it's in a good way. I really like it. Um, McKinnon, you're making a face, so I want to know, what do you think of kind of the, the cinematography? It, use here?
2: it was distracting at first and made me very dizzy. But like Calvin said, how it works well with the uh, the dancing elements of it and following the dancers on the stage and circling around them and stuff like that. It works very well for that. And after a certain point in the movie, it was
1: less distracting. Okay. Yeah, I'd agree because actually, like that was my going into this. because we talk so much about how um, like good Ari Aster's films are because of this this the cinematic quality of, of his camera movements. We don't have a lot of uh, handheld stuff, um, but that's a that's a big hallmark of Aronofsky films. Is is because it's all it's all of these psychic elements. It's all like Requiem for a Dream is just like madness overtaking drug users. Um, the Fountain is a uh, the madness of 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 life in general right mother is the the madness of a world in a christian god like all of it is just about like like handheld cameras work so well to create this unease like you're you're like you're there and you're unsettled um so when i first came to it i was like "Eh, i don't really love it because it's like because we we talk about uh how much more fun it is to in a cinematic sense uh to have these big long slow shots um and moving away from it like there's there's a little bit of baggage with handheld cam now in terms of it being like a um like a party trick right like know? the like when there was a big fad
0: of like found footage movies that all seemed to come out like after cloverfield that was like the big thing Right. Which yeah. that's more like shaky, but it's still, it's like, there's a lot of handheld elements to it. Yeah. It's
1: gimmicky, I think. <laughs> yeah. It, it feels at times it feels like it, it was gimmicky. I would, I would rather see a few more shots, um, where the camera's just completely still, because whether or not like anything's happening in frame or whether the camera's necessarily moving, the edges are still moving in such a way because you can tell that they're, that they're holding their cameras. Um, Again, this was shot just like Mother. It was shot on Super 16, uh, smaller cameras, more maneuverability, that grainy texture. Um, so yeah, so it, it I got over it a little bit more, and I just embraced that Aronofsky a- aesthetic because I think you need to do that.
0: I think that if you if you want to if you look at movies and you're like I can't really tell the difference between directors, like they all just look like movies to me. I I think watching this or uh, any other Aronofsky movie, uh, like uh, like Watch Mother or something, if you can get through it, and then watch like and then watch an Ari Aster movie, and it, I mean I'm not saying it's night and day, but you can tell like these directors have a style. Like there is a distinct difference I think between the, the cinematography between those two movies, and so I think if you want to have like an exercise in like learning the difference in film techniques and like different directorial staples, this is like kind of that handheld cam, like that Super 16, like that graininess to it. These are all like staples of Aronofsky movies, I think. Yeah. And then like that really long kind of slow moving wide shot is like a real big staple in Ari film. So I do think this, this is an interesting movie to, if you want to compare it and like try to figure out like styles and like staples of directors, this is a, comparing those two, I think would be a, a really good place to go to.
1: Yeah, especially when you talk about editing, because Aronofsky is famous for his hip hop editing. So cut, 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 cut. Requiem for a Dream had 2200 cuts. A Normal Film has 700 Wow. Midsummer had three, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> There's actually four in the director's cut. Oh, is there? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, it, like, these these two things he really loves uh, fast cuts and uh, handheld cameras. And they really work for the stories he's trying to tell. I think so, too. And,
0: and especially for me, like, I hate handheld cam mostly. And the fact that this totally worked for me, I was shocked by. Uh, cause I think Calvin and I had talked before we were like texting or something. You're like, did you like watching it? And I was like, yeah, it's great. Like you were, <laughs> you were like afraid I was going to be super critical of the handheld stuff. Yeah, I thought, just I thought that. it all
1: totally worked. It's funny because like, that's like a hard thing to get over in this film. If you do not like it, um, right. it's funny that you say that McKinnon, it was distracting for you at first and a little nauseating. The fact that it became less distracting, it's almost like you can see its purpose
2: I can, yeah. I would have liked to see a version of the movie without so much shakiness. Mm-hmm. Like m- maybe that would remove, if the camera work was more smooth, I'm sure it would have
0: removed a lot of the tension from scenes. Yeah. It adds to kind of the unstableness of uh, Natalie Portman's character, I think, too. Absolutely. The, the, the kind of constant sort of anxiety and like shifting she's going through. I do want to talk about sound. Um, a lot of the, uh, the score is, it's just taken from the actual Swan Lake, uh, like the
1: musical Yeah, Tchaikovsky. Yeah, Tchaikovsky is the one that uh, did Swan Lake.
0: Right, and I I do really like that a lot. I I think it, I think this movie only works if you have like orchestral music in it. I think you can't really. There's like one scene where they're in a club and there's hip hop music. Other than that, it's all orchestral, and it makes perfect sense in this. And I think it's, it all fits in really well. It's not ever overdone. And like, there's some good spikes in it that I like really add to the emotion of the scene. You know, and I I think it all works really well. Like for for me, for it being a score, I totally expected you know, based on kind of what the content of the film, the, you know, the ballet and all that. It's like, you expect to hear that, but I thought it all made sense. I mean, I was never like, oh, boring score. I was like, oh, this, this works really well.
1: Yeah. And it's funny, Clint uh, Mansell is the one that did uh, the score for it. He's done a lot of uh, Aronofsky's uh, films. Um, He wasn't nominated for the score uh, because it used too many refrains from Tchaikovsky.
0: I can kind of get that. I Mm -hmm. mean, um it's certainly and i think that's part of why it works for me is because it is swan like you know yeah. and so it makes sense that all that's used in but i do understand why he wouldn't get nominated because yeah, it's they just literally disqualified him it. for
1: right. it like not even like uh like uh it wasn't even like an artistic dis- uh like um like oh that's not true music no they were literally like no you not enough of that is original for yeah. you to be nominated
2: they disqualified him for plagiarism
0: almost basically yeah, yeah. Huh. The thing is, I wouldn't describe this as a rip-off or anything. I don't think right. he... I'm certain that it wasn't like, oh, I'm trying to pass this on if it's my own original work, but... Uh there's
2: like obvious inspiration from something though yeah. not
1: even obvious in, in, inspiration like it was literally like we just uh like updated some some parts of it took uh parts of the original suite and then put them into his own just to fit the action that's going on with the within the the scene hmm. okay. so it, it it literally was like copy paste yeah copy paste but it was also like a uh, yeah we can't we can't nominate you because you did that <laughs> yeah, it like, like, yeah, like, okay. yeah technically it. it's not really your music yeah, yeah. <laughs> which i
0: get I, but again i think it all works. I, it'd be weird if i think if you didn't do something like that so to have swan Lake, a movie about swan lake essentially and, and not have any of the uh, yeah if you did not have it, any tchaikovsky it's really weird Yeah, it would be odd to me um all right so uh moving on from the score i want to
1: circle back to the mirrors
0: we kind of briefly mentioned it but it's like such a big part of this
1: movie yeah so i mean it's it's in every almost every shot it's mirrors on top of mirrors on top of infinity mirrors like this film has a lot to do with artistic narcissism like we mentioned so it's a conceit of the narcissists seeing themselves everywhere but they literally like mirrors literally create duplicate images so obviously the major idea of this of this film is duality um duality of black and white of chastity and seduction persona and shadow so the mirrors work as visual representations of the unconscious churning behind the persona as well so conscious and unconscious black and white nina and lily so aronofsky aronofsky continually creates these set pieces to emphasize and re-emphasize and overemphasize this point this whole film is simply one giant pattern repeating itself and that's and it's just because all of the mirror like you can't really escape your mind that's, right. that's kind of the the whole point of it is you're constantly seeing everywhere. You're constantly affecting the world around you and you can't get out of yourself.
0: Yeah. I mean, just like to list a few, I mean, Nina's room has a couple mirrors in it. Uh, obviously, the dance studio is full of mirrors. There's uh, Lily and Nina are in the bathroom together is a big mirror, yeah. a mirror with
1: horror written on it. Uh, Which I love. That one I feel like is, is actually, I don't think anybody wrote it. I think it's a reflection of her own guilty conscience. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so that's yeah, more mirror stuff there. There's mirrors in uh, uh, Tomas's or Tomas' studio room. There's mirrors in his house. There's mirrors on the subway. Um, There's one, uh, it's the scene where uh,
0: Nina's mom is trying to give her the cake. There's actually a real quick spot where you can see one of the cameramen is in the reflection of the mirror. Oh, man. yeah oh, really? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Ah, how I many neither. mirrors are in this? The fact that there's only like one slip up in it, I think I it's was kind looking, of
2: amazing. I was looking for it a few times because <laughs> I was like, they have to slip up somewhere. Just once. Okay. Yeah. I, did you guys not think it was overdone? No. I, I, I picked up on the
1: mirror aspect like pretty quickly and I was like, could we please move on? No, because what I it, it's not... So it's it's the idea of the mirrors as well mm-hmm. but it's also the fact that it's just really really visually interesting. I love that part. Nobody plays with mirrors because why, like like the, with the, the camera difficulty man, of the it's camera work. Yeah. it's very it's very difficult to, in order to always set things up so that they're only in the place where you can see your actors or your set and none of your um none of your equipment and none of your um and none of your crew. Of course. So the fact that there's that they're just everywhere is is so much fun uh, from a con- from a concept uh, for for set pieces, and so to see things like that, it's just like it's just a little treat for me.
0: Yeah, I like it a lot too because I think this movie focuses a lot on like Nina and identity and like who she's becoming and like the changes, and so like having that constant reflection of like trying to figure out who you are, like that's kind of the the part of the mirrors that I took from it. It might be a little more surface level, but I I, I think that's like that's a
1: no I think that that's that's identity is a big role in this film absolutely yeah I think that's a good uh, that's one way that they work and that's why they don't feel overdone to me is because that like all Aronofsky things they don't work in just one way they work in multiple multiple ways because that the way uh like it's films are reflections of the mind and everything is messy within a mind okay I
0: want to move on to the characters um Nina played by Natalie Portman um I, I want to get into her more like when we go to theories because I, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on with her character. But when I think of her kind of just uh, base level, it's just kind of a, maybe like sort of like a coming of age story is what I like to think of uh, how she starts in this film and how she grows later on. And um, I, I just think there's a lot of interesting evolution in her character. Uh, what did you think of Nina in this film, McKinnon?
2: nothing significant i thought she was really boring
0: wow this is nutty because i just think there's so much to this movie i think
2: they like i said earlier they explain really early on what the movie's about so as she starts to break out of her shell a little bit like bit by bit it's not surprising and you expect it to happen and i just i didn't think that any of her actions were particularly interesting
0: so does part of that come from the fact that you don't like natalie portman as an actress very much
2: if it (laughs) if it was any other actress that i liked more i don't think it would change my opinion
1: oh so like jennifer lawrence
2: if it was yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) no I, i don't think it i don't think it has to do with natalie portman as an actress because okay so we were talking before we started recording about natalie portman and her performance kind of works well for this movie because she often doesn't emote too much and she's very bland in her performance and that kind of fits well for her very meek the for the first portion of the movie where she's supposed to be timid and in her in her shell of her like sheltered existence that she's been in up to this point and that fits well for natalie
0: portman i think i was saying that it's like she fell into a role that like suits her perfectly yeah exactly yeah it's it's not necessarily like which is
2: totally a backhanded compliment i know kind of (laughs) yeah
0: but i i mean it's funny that you say that she every like award she was nominated for, like she won that year, like all the best actors. I don't get it, K-
2: Calvin. Were you you were you were talking more positively about Natalie Natalie Portman,
0: right? Yeah, I love Natalie
2: Portman.
1: Yeah, she's a great actress.
0: Okay,
2: what you to
1: explain to me why? What are your thoughts on uh, her portrayal of Nina in this film? So Nina is such a such an interesting character, and I absolutely agree with you. Like, it's really like you know, it's funny that you say coming of age. Um, but I think of it more as coming of mind. Um, but coming of age, I think comes into the aspect of like all of the pink, uh, right. Oh pink. So pretty. The right. Pink cake that her little pink shawl. And then she, um, I don't think she, we see her wear pink again, uh, after she puts on the black dress when they go out to the club after that. it's And cause otherwise she's in white the whole time. So then it, then it's black and white as she shifts back and forth between, uh, both persona and shadow. Um, You know, Nina is neurotic, obsessive compulsive. Uh, All of this is being driven by her poor relationship with her mother. Um, And we'll get into the idea of negative mother archetypes um, in the uh, in a little bit later on when we when we expand more on like uh, our theories and things. Um, But that's really what's driving uh, all of the tension in the film is her is Nina is. A complicated mess inside of her mind because of her terrible relationship with her mother, and also quite possibly because of um uh her father. Like here, like we we kind of you can kind of think of uh Thomas as being like a father, um, but in a postmodern sense, the uh the the archetypal father is uh different. It contrasts in the Victorian uh idea of the father like the victorian father being domineering uh strong um kind of uh you know oh overbearing right. whereas here in the postmodern we have this idea of the the absent father and so sure. she is moving like attaching to him because he is a, a father type figure but he acts in a, in a few different ways so it's all of these things as Nina is, is interacting with these characters that can also be thought of as reflections in her mind. And we'll, we'll start to flesh all of that out more, but I think what, what's, what's most interesting is, um, all of, uh, like her scratching her, uh, her, uh, um, uh, like picking at her nails, yeah, her, her hands, nails. Yeah. yeah. All of those things as, as, um, physical drivers, uh, or physical indications of her negative mother, uh, uh, complex. They can, you know, they can be thought of as a uh, like borderline personality disorder. They can be thought of as just pure OCD. All of those things, and I think it's it's interesting to see them in relation to like the uh, the 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 flesh of like a swan. You know. Yeah. We think of that as like, it's like the shadow, like she's trying to scratch out the shadow because, and because, but her mother is like, yeah, there's a lot to go, go over there. But, uh, Nina is interesting for those reasons. Right.
2: So you mentioned briefly, Calvin, her outfits, like when she wore black to go to the club, did you guys think that that was too on the nose? Like every time she wore black or gray or white, it really felt obvious what they were trying to say. They're like, oh, she's, she's developing as a character. Did you guys think that that was too obvious?
1: No, no, I didn't. Okay. The, 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 I, I thought
2: I was like, "Come on, man! Like, could you be
1: more subtle, please?" It's supposed to be because yeah. the the thing is, is like the the way uh, a good story is uh, created is you have things that are obvious. Mm-hmm. You have also you also have things that are subtle, and so he's giving you gentle. He's giving you very obvious. Over the heavy-handed ones, like this is like the the thing about that I think about with Mother is the 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 subtler ones aren't necessarily as obvious as the big obvious ones. There are smaller elements here that are that are uh, that are subtle Mm -hmm. um, that aren't uh, as confusing as in Mother. So you give so you 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 lead your audience saying uh, like here is Nina, she's wearing black, or here is Nina, she's wearing white. Here's Lily, she's wearing black, and then she puts on the black like. You know, part of it is like the idea of going out and having like a a, a black slip or a black top um, generally being more sexy than, you know, something in white. Um, So there's there is like that innocence and everything associated with white and all that. So, yeah, exactly. So those the we have all of that baggage coming with it anyways. Um, So to lead your audience in the obvious ways so that the subtler ones become more obvious as well. Is, yeah, that's a weird way of putting it. It's very but that's, confusing, okay. But that's why I don't find that one obvious because there are much more subtle ones that he's alluding to by um, dressing her and them in white and black. Okay. I think
0: I think the more obvious stuff is just how the character is changing in general, like the way she acts is changing. So like her what she's wearing is not like that big a deal to me because like if you're just watching the movie, you can understand the change that's taking place anyways. Right.
2: I I think you can understand the character is changing because her actions are changing and also wrapping her in clothing that reflects her mood and personality as the movie goes on is excessive to me.
1: Well, you should also look at the the clothing of... The other characters too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's really the thing because Toma is also wearing white and black a lot. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting when you think about the the whole uh, unconscious of uh, Nina coming together. And we'll explain why that's important with uh, Toma later.
2: Yeah, and the, the mom only wears black, I think. She is mostly, yeah.
0: Yeah. I do I do kind of want to talk about the mother a little bit more. I Like the controlling, manipulative dance mom from hell. Like, <laughs> and, it, and it's so much more than like, This is so embarrassing. I used to watch that show Dance Moms with Hannah. And so I know way too much about that show. (laughs) And they're like, it's like all played up for like reality TV. And there's like that element to it. But like the way uh, the mothers in this uh, played by Barbara Hershey, um, she's like really emotionally manipulative in this. I I think the most uncomfortable scene to me is the scene with the cake. Yeah, And she wants, you know, to celebrate, you know, uh, uh, Nina getting like the part is, is, is the Swan Queen. And, um, she she doesn't want the cake because she's like oh you know my stomach hurts for him she's like fine I'll just throw it out like it's you it's it's useless it's garbage yeah then. and then you know and Nina's like no 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 it's okay I'm sorry I'm sorry and I think you kind of get a lot of that. I got like real vibes from uh uh, uh midsummer where you know uh, oh yeah. where Danny's like she's you know she's like uh, feels like she needs to apologize for all this stuff yeah. there's some of that like don't kinda, go don't go right. I'm sorry then. yeah there was like elements of that like make me really kind of feel for Nina as a character and just how manipulative the mom is and so it's not just like a crappy reality tv dance mom it's like she's actually like really there's like a really evil kind of quality to how she treats nina and i i think like i i like that character and how she's played i I think the performance is really good in it so then i want to talk about Tama more and uh i like to think of him as if i want to like kind of think of an archetype i like to think of like maybe like the old man kind of shows up and uh Mm -hmm. she's trying to like get approval from him like she's seeking attention from him and like I I like I, I actually like your take on him kind of being the absent father a lot more than what I came up with. And so I'm excited to kind of like dive into that more. Uh, but I think just kind of, I, I do like the idea of like this kind of uh, seeking attention, you know? And like she's this figure that he looks, that she looks up to and trying to get like that, get that approval, you know? Because he's, all right, he's kind of like Fletcher from Whiplash. This is like the only other comparison I can make in that <laughs> way. Yeah. Is where uh, he walks in and he's like touching people on the shoulder, you know, to tell like, who's not making the cut and then the people he didn't touch, he didn't touch. Like he wants to see them in the studio later. And Fletcher kind of does the same thing where he, he just like immediately knows like who's good and who's bad. And so I guess like, that's like the one kind of comparison to whiplash I have, but I I do like the idea of like, he's such an expert of his craft and to just walk in and be like, Oh, these are the dancers I want. I, I think there's like a sort of like this, uh, mythical quality to him. Like he's, he's, he's so, uh, he, he's so knowledgeable and he's he's so good at his craft that he can just like it, it takes a couple seconds for him to, to pick out who he wants
1: but it's also and i also like how it's kind of abusive um because it's uh leading their expectations in into the negative like he you would think that being touched would mean like oh yeah i see you i understand you you're one i want and for that to be actually be the reverse is i love
0: that they flip that on its head that's as soon as he's like oh the people i didn't touch like i want to see you at like five o'clock in the studio It's like oh man like all the girls who are all excited thinking that they got picked and then to be like totally like undercut and let down i think that's actually really neat it establishes like this power
1: dynamic that like he has as the director you know yeah so th- there's so many there's Toma th- can really be thought of in two different ways um obviously what's on the surface is hi- him being you know a uh, a narcissistic abusive and incredibly charismatic uh director and uh he clearly abuses his position for uh taking advantage of girls um because you know even uh, nina's mother says that he's been known you know to uh t- have his ways right and right. so i think that i think it's it's inter- it's interesting because that is one th- one aspect of him that is very obvious but it's almost like he utilizes all of his abusive sexual power on nina in service of opening her eyes like it's it's really more of like god just like figure it out man like i don't want to have sex with you i don't even need this it's just like this is the part of you that you are keeping shut try and open yourself up to it since you're not even you're not even putting yourself in a position to find that i need to lead you there right right do you
2: think Tama is her father
1: nina's father no we'll get into that though oh sneak peek okay i would i would actually describe her as uh, describe him as her animus Oh, okay.
2: I was going to say I I figured Tama was more of the like the teacher, like that sort of archetype, but hearing you guys talk about the father absent father I think makes more sense for that character.
1: Yeah, and mostly because of uh how we've uh, established there being a, a mother mm-hmm. in her life and how there isn't a father. So, the fact that uh this is a sexual relationship as well um is is kind of is what makes this interesting. So, we'll get to that though.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, uh do we want to move into a Maybe it's a mute.
1: Oh, let's get all aboard. I love having... I love having my... <laughs> own McKenna soundpad. made such
0: a face. What was that? <laughs> oh, have it's you not?
1: Well, clearly someone hasn't been listening. <laughs> uh,
0: that's us hopping on the Carl Jung train. Oh my gosh. All aboard. Go let's do it. <laughs> we
1: we do it s- and often enough that we needed to prepare our, all I was of our excited. listeners. It was really fun to make the soundbite for that. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Let's get into it, I and guess. Like, like each time I laugh, like, okay, so the, I laughed the first time. And then the second time we were recording, I laughed like really hard because I didn't hear him say Carl. In it. So like... Connor was like, wow, you really thought that was funny. He's like, because I didn't hear the Carl part. He's like, oh, you didn't hear the Carl part? That's the whole reason I chose. So, yeah, we're jumping on the Carl Jung train. Great. So, Carl Jung, psychoanalyst, Swiss psychoanalyst, a contemporary of Freud. Um... This, so I think like this, this part will be a, very obvious to a lot of people because we all have some experience or concept of poor parental relationships. But the main focus of this section is how we create characters with believable idiosyncrasies and. Archetypes provide a template of behaviors that exist in all forms of storytelling, and Jung Jung takes that a step further and ascribes the archetypes found in humanity's folklore to represent specific aspects of the human psyche, and created an abundance of literature on, uh, on his thoughts. So there's a chicken and egg discussion to be had about all of our Jung references within the framework of film, because some filmmakers do specifically use his psychological concepts um, in their creative process. And sometimes Jung's analysis simply lines up because the way we tell stories hasn't fundamentally changed for millennia. um, And he just identified patterns. I think I kind of, I think I
0: kind of touched on that with uh, our jaws review mm -hmm. and kind of, I, I know this isn't Jung, but like I talked about like the hero's journey and like, the, you know, I think Jung just kind of like, I think we've talked about before, he just like established and like gave us like the framework for these archetypes. Like this, all these stories have always existed, you know, like, like you just said for millennia and like Jaws is the hero's
1: journey, which has existed forever. So yeah, yeah it's, it's again, what those uh, stories say about, uh, the creators of them right. generally. And so we can think of, uh, the creator putting themselves into these characters and if they're if the creator puts themselves into these characters they can be thought of as aspects of one single mind one unconscious mind so this sh- this section should be taken with a grain of salt though but i still think it's it's uh it's a fun exercise to analyze the basis of character construction through the lens of jungian psychology like and as opposed to my uh as opposed to my interpretation of enemy I think there are two stories being told here. The drama within the company and the drama within Nina's mind. So we need to pay special attention to scenes where Nina is alone or only with a few characters because the more intimate settings give room for a wider range of interpretations. So the main archetypes we'll refer to are the mother archetype, the father archetype, and the shadow. So the mother archetype being her, her literal mother and the father archetype being Toma and the shadow being Lily. So the mother uh is uh like all relationships of mother-like individuals moms grandmas aunts are personifications from the great mother representing (laughs) all life through symbols such as earth um the mother shapes us it's the most important archetype as far as jung is concerned because it's the first relationship that we develop and as well as some misogynistic baggage that women are specifically designed, developed for caretaking. Thus, the, the positive relationship with one's mother creates individuals with full range of emotional capacity, um, whereas a negative experience creates individuals with a mother complex. And that's what I referred to earlier, uh, as what Nina has. Women with a mother complex can express their psychic dysfunction in ways that include um, an exaggeration of one's maternal instincts so, so, so that their role of caregiver becomes um who they are uh becomes who they are as they sacrifice their individuality on the altar of motherhood that's pretty much nina's mother she's like completely given over to being a mother and uh doesn't have a sense of her own self. It's all living vicariously through Nina. So other variations of this include an antagonistic relationship with the expectations of their mother. So seeking out disapproved marriage partners or sexual relations. So you can see that with Nina, with with Tom and Jerry, and obviously with Lily as well. Um, and also carving out a sphere of their own, in this case, outdoing her mother as a career ballerina. So we can, uh, think of Nina's mother as a pure mother archetype, um, because I don't think she exists. Yeah. I, I do
0: like that theory a lot. Um, cause I, I sort of think you can look at a lot of the characters as like different aspects of Nina. And so like maybe kind of this neurotic mm-hmm. obsession with like becoming a good dancer, I think that's aspects of the mother. Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's that's like being projected out. Um, so I do like that theory a lot. I, I didn't think about it until like uh, we had talked about it earlier, and you were saying like I don't think the mom's real, and I was like, ooh, I like that a lot. What are your thoughts on that, McKinnon? I hate that because <laughs> you could say that about
2: almost every character in any movie,
1: couldn't you? That's literally what Jung is saying. I'm sure. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the whole. That's the whole point. That's why like this is a this is something to be taken with a grain of salt. Right. Sometimes we can just tell stories like Shawshank Redemption, and sometimes we can we can think of. Things that need to be expressed by a creator um, into a story, and they all come from one mind, mm-hmm. generally, or a collective unconscious mind. That's his idea. That's where these. I, that's why all of these um, archetypes keep uh, coming up is because we keep telling these stories, and they keep um, being in- ingrained into who we are in our own unconscious. So that's the whole point: is that um, you can say that about everything in all stories. Because that's what's happening. That's mm-hmm. how we create stories. Is that true? Probably not. It's just like we're, we're very formulaic in the way that we tell stories and we enjoy. And that's also like, like biologically, that's how we develop to communicate is through stories. That's why um, our memories are best um, where our best memories are created in stories and experiences, because that's really how language developed. And that's how we, uh, we uh, dealt with the world is through the, through the idea of narrative. Okay so that's why these things are important that's why you can break them down this way it's not the only way it's just I mean look at how much fun I wrote uh, how much fun I had writing all of this down so it's very much I find it very much fun um, so do you want to jump into toma so yeah so so well and so let let's talk about like how all of that negative mother impresses upon Nina and Nina's scratching and uh um all of those things are expressions of her negative relationship with her mother. Yeah. So like this the, thing, the physical exists. manifestation, her of external it. injuries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and then let's talk about Toma because that is a uh, Toma is really interesting. In um, so obviously she doesn't have a father. I say obviously because um, it, they're they're sitting in uh, front of them. Uh, Nina's fixing her shoes with the lighter, and uh, she talks about like uh, her life. And basically, being re- raised as a single mother, or being a single mother, I think that was imp- yeah, yeah. that was pretty heavily implied with that one uh, that one line. So we can just say that Nina's mom doesn't exist. So it's again this um, this negative or this absent father in the postmodern. And there's also this idea of what this creates is father hunger and uh, this yearning for that uh, that figure in your in their life. And it's interesting to think about like that in uh conjunction with eating disorders and how that's that that's just so fascinating like trying to be uh sexually appealing like uh, like building a body that is sexually appealing to males um by the uh by restricting right and because they desire the, those the the thing that they don't have, and because and they're always hungry. So that's I that's a weird concept I came across uh, um, looking at this. But um, no, I like that a lot because I do think there are parts in the movie where she starts out with
0: an eating disorder because she's like it seems like she's seeking that attention, she's seeking that approval, and then when she starts to get it, it doesn't show her like you know in the in the bathroom stall like uh, you know puking or anything like that. And and then later on in the film, it feels like she's uh like Lily's getting more attention than she is, and like that eating disorder returns. So I, I like how they use that in the movie. Uh like again, more that like kind of physical manifestation of like what she's going through emotionally or like uh psychologically.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um and then so Toma works in this way also of uh of being her animus. And the uh animus is um the collection of all male traits of the female unconscious. Uh, mind which would include her father it's it's usually the animus the the first uh image impressed upon uh, a young woman is their the image of of their father and vice versa for um for the male mind uh men usually their first image of the of their anima is uh of their mother and then it's just this collection of all female or male whatever the opposite gender um stereotype images uh of the individual uh, it becomes a collection of those so and what I mean by it's an uh, it's the animus is because uh, Jung thinks of the mind as being split into conscious mind which is our persona it's what we show um, and then the unconscious mind which is split into three parts the anima or animus the shadow self uh, the thing the, the the parts of ourselves that we don't acknowledge don't show um generally the darker darker parts of ourselves and then the true self which is the the deepest part of our unconscious and so the goal for jung is for all of these elements to um to be united in harmony um and when someone is uh disharmonious you have someone like nina who has a really strong mother complex has shut out her shadow and her animus is uh Very, it expresses itself in a very sexual way. It's very low and undeveloped because we don't have a lot of full-fledged ideas of dealing with other men. So, Thomas works in such a way uh, that uh, he is is a guide to the unconscious. That's why he keeps he doesn't ever actually take advantage of her. Is because you can think of all of his attempts at at seduction at just means to an end of showing nina this is your shadow self this is all of the right. all of the things that you are keeping hidden away and you have all of these problems because you don't acknowledge that they're there they exist whether you want them to or not i think it could get really
0: creepy like when you first suggested him as like the father figure i was like well but like it seems like he's c- coming on to her and i was like that would be kind of gross but if you really look at a lot of the scenes like uh he has her over to his apartment for like a nightcap or something and he's not really trying to have sex with her. He just asked her, he's like, do you like sex? Like, you know, how do you even feel about it? And it's like you said, it's supposed to like kind of open her up and have her like kind of realize parts of her shadow self and all that. So I actually kind of like the idea of her being, of him being the father, because it's it's not like a sexual relationship between them, I don't think. Like while there is like, he's like, oh, seduce me. And like, but that's more like develop yourself as a person, not like literally seduce me. You know, like there's
1: not a romance between them. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this, that part lands a lot better for me when I think about it that way, because otherwise it's kind of creepy and weird. Right. But right. when you think of it, yeah. <laughs> but that's but when, what
0: I'm saying. If you, if you can think about like what actually happens in those scenes, it's not, it's not really uh, like romantic or sexual, really. It's like, that's the subject matter, but that's like not the purpose of it. Yeah. It's not to like get laid, you know? Uh, What do you think of that, McKinnon?
2: That scene was kind of why I identified him as like the teacher because he's trying to like educate her and get her to open up as a dancer and improve kind of like a a teacher would.
1: Yeah. It's all, it's all inner dialogue. And that's what, and that's why this film works so well is because then, uh, and again, because it's this, it's this, uh, you can almost think of Thomas being the mirror, showing Nina the other side, like, this is what you look like. This is just your persona you need to go deeper and find your shadow. And that's where Lily comes in. I mean, yeah, he he like essentially says that. He's like, if I was
0: only casting the white swan, it'd be yours today. He's like, but you need to show me your black swan. And it is, it's to develop her and everything. So
2: Toma isn't the father or the teacher archetype. You would say he's the mirror archetype. (laughs) <laughs> now you're getting you're always a Coming up
0: with new archetypes. I really
2: hope you guys <laughs> talk about the shark archetype when you did Jaws.
0: <laughs> you're so oh right. my god, we oh totally I... missed the sharketype We have to re-record. <laughs> <We> <laughs> totally missed that.
1: Great. Oh man. Uh, well, maybe we'll put it in the thumbnail. <laughs> <just> shark <shark-a-type laughs> revisited. Right. Great. Um, yeah. So I do want to move on to Lily now, and uh, essentially the, the shadow self. And but I do want to say one, a couple of the lines that are really interesting that Tomas said is it's really fucking hard to be both the white swan and the black swan and that's because the idea of individuation is really fucking hard most people just mm-hmm. ignore their uh their 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 unconscious mind and this is really why i love film is because it's it exposes what's in what's in your mind and so if you think of film as that as an expression of what's inside uh, one person's mind, like, Oh, I kind of identify with some of those things. What then you can do is self reflect on yourself and realize, wow, there's a lot of junk in my mind. I should really work on that because if I'm identifying with some of these, these character traits, it's because I haven't done the work on myself. Right. Yeah. And so I, that's, yeah. I, I, so one other line that, uh, yeah. So it's just like, so yeah, exactly. It's that whole thing with uh, Tomac telling nina that's like 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 really tomah's the most important character in the whole film not not even lily because Toma is uh is leading nina to the thing that's going to lead her to uh or is going to tell her like opening the, like opening those doors you know yeah exactly exactly no like, I, I i agree with that
0: I that's
2: interesting that's i think i think lily is much more important than Thomas.
0: Well, let's move on to Lily then. Uh, I like she's like got this really cool swagger about her. Like uh, that's the character played by Mila Kunis. Yeah. And, uh, it's very. It
1: feels like Mila Kunis. Yeah,
0: I, I guess yeah. Uh, Natalie Portman was pretty much the reason she got the got the job. Is she mm. told Darren Aronofsky like, oh, I think she'd be really good in this, and they they're friends. And I guess uh, Mila Kunis just did like a Skype interview, and then she got the job like right there. She didn't actually audition for it, uh, but I think it works perfectly. Like like the first time she's introduced, she walks in and. Oh, he's like, oh, go ahead and grab a warm up. She's like, I don't need it, um, you know. And she's like, uh, she's in the bathroom, like taking her panties off. You're like real carefree, and and I think it does it. Like it, it, she has a lot of these aspects that I think are things that uh, Nina kind of wishes she had, or, or like you know, if you if it is the shadow self, it, it's parts of her that she's just not expressing, you know.
2: Yeah, she does nothing the same way as Nina. Yeah,
0: yeah. and and I do think it's I think mckinnon you probably think it's a little on the nose to have them be like so opposite but it, that's the point of the movie it's it's to kind of show this like development and like how she is changing
2: so. yeah no L- lily is obviously the shadow self right oh yeah it's like, it's incredibly obvious
1: yeah like if you didn't need there if there's only one uh psychic element that you pick up here it's very obvious and that's what i mean about um why some of his things are very obvious is the shadow of lily is very very obvious but it's not the only thing going on psychically with Nina. It's just a clue that more is underneath the surface.
2: Lily isn't real, is she?
1: She is real in some places yeah. and not in others. That's why also you keep seeing uh, Nina see her her face reflected in other people. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of like her mind, like uh, you know her, her shadow everywhere. It's a bit of her narcissism, her obsessive compulsive. It's really just to unsettle um, the viewer and 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 show you that something is very wrong with Nina
2: interesting I would have thought that Lily was not real at all
1: yeah really part. anything going on inside of uh, her apartment not real okay yeah like uh, the
0: going out to the club like that's real but I think that that sequence stops being real when uh, Nina gets into the cab yeah and, like, after that, it's just like, oh, uh, Lily just stayed at the club, and that's it. So, like, the, the sex scene isn't real. Because yeah. then the next day, uh, Lily's like, what are you talking about? Like, I wasn't there with you. Like, you I know, didn't go to your apartment. Yeah, you
1: had a leslie wet dream. Yeah, about yeah.
0: Me. yeah. Speaking
2: of the club, can we talk about Seb- Sebastian Stan? Like, best performance I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he is in this movie. Yeah, he's in it. Isn't he?
2: I thought, yeah, it, it took my breath away. His performance was amazing.
0: <laughs> the two minutes he's in this movie. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can't go wrong having Sebastian Stan in your movie. Oh, he's though. So He's so dreamy. I didn't even recognize him, actually. I just saw it. In the credits, I was like, "Where was he? Yeah, where was he? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's
0: like the the aspect that Lily brings to the movie. I think is like fairly obvious. So I don't think there's like a ton to dive in besides recognizing that she is just the shadow self. Yeah. And then uh, you know, the it's kind of cool to like look through and figure out like, oh, when is she real? When is she not? Like, there's a scene where uh, Nina walks in on like Lily and Toma like making out and like, yeah, like some sexual encounter, and like that's not real but it's kind of cool to go through and like kind of pick those out and, you know, even discuss it's like really,
1: yeah. Her animus, like the jealousy of, uh, like her animus making out with, uh, her shadow in an attempt to make her jealous. Yeah. Like this is what you could be. You could be a full in- individual. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the way I read that scene is it's not, it's not necessarily them hooking up or being sexual. Um, I mean, it, it is that it's like, look, I I'm interested in her sexually because she's uh, she's a lot more attractive or like a lot more more um, fun. Yeah, know, more like... fun. Yeah. She's really given over to those things that you're holding back. Yeah. So it's 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 both it's both things playing at the same time in the real world. Like, look, at she's the black swan. If you want the the, per- the perfect performance that you want, you need to be her as well. And so it's that jealousy that's going on within her own mind, even. And then there's like the scene later on where
0: uh, Nina kills Lily and stuffs her body away. I kind of have some issues at that scene. Uh, not so much that it happened because I kind of like the idea of like... Um,
1: Just like the lighthouse. Yeah. You, we, can't, you can't kill your shadow. When, right, when, right. Yeah, when uh, Robert Pattinson uh, kills Willem Dafoe and you realize that it was actually him all along, like mm-hmm. it was him and Willem Dafoe were one person, like that's... You can't skip... Um, the process of uh incorporating your shadow you can't kill it off and get rid of it you have to incorporate it understand its power and take that away so and and blend it into uh your entire mind assimilate it exactly Mm -hmm. those are the words that i'm looking for thank you because because i like a lot because it's right before that is when she does dance the black
0: swan and that's like my favorite scene of the whole movie Uh, Like I said, I love the camera work in it. And then just like, she's slowly growing the feathers. And I love when she like, at the end she's bowing and like, she's got her wings out and everything. I did like that. It's such a good scene. The fluttering of the sound effects. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Everything.
1: The the, the stretching of the goose pimpling skin. Oh,
0: yeah. Everything comes together wonderfully in that. And then there's like the killing off scene right after that. And I was like, I thought we had already kind of, with that dance, I thought you've already established that she is like now realizing that she can accept parts of her shadow self and she is becoming like, uh, she has evolved enough as a character. Like she danced the black swan. She did it. And then to have her also kill off that shadow self at the, like right after that, I thought was totally unnecessary.
2: Does, does she not kill Lily and then do the dance or is it the other way around?
0: It's the other way around because remember she does the dance and then she goes back into her studio, her little, uh, dressing room mm-hmm. and she
1: checks for the blood.
2: Okay. This movie was too boring for me to take notes. I don't remember.
1: Yeah. Okay. I think it's interesting to think about how it's a bit of that narcissism. Like she, well, look, I danced the black swan. I don't need my shadow anymore. Yeah, okay. Rather think, than, yeah.
2: You think that's what they were going for?
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of like the thing. Like, oh, I don't, you know... Like, I'm, be- I'm, I'm, I'm better. I'm than you? Yeah, I'm above you now. Even though it's okay. an aspect of herself. And that's really why it's... And that's why she actually stabs herself, mm-hmm. is because it's a self-inflicted wound to think that you... A part of your mind doesn't need to be a part of you. Yeah. Do you think that that's literal? That she really did stab herself? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. I think that's just like... Well, I mean, she's bleeding, so... Yeah, whether yeah. whether she tripped or fell or something was going on, like clearly she injured herself. My only problem with that is the fact that we go back in and see that it's not real, you know. Yeah, I guess that's more it. Yeah, because we don't we don't need to see that. Like we can just see her bleeding out on the like. You know, I'm sure maybe there was some test screening somewhere. Like oh, I don't understand. Like yeah, you're not meant to understand. Like just say it's perfect and like that's 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 fine. This it's it's all about about her neurosis and how, when she gives over to those without incorporating all of the elements of her mind, it's really, you're really just hurting yourself. Right. I do. I still like that. The climax of That movie
0: is great. I, I think it's done it's so well. I do want to get into kind of one of the, one of the theories, kind of the, uh, what I take away from this movie, what I kind of think it's about. Uh, I, I really think it's a kind of a story of a girl, like going through like puberty and all the hormones and all like the unrest and struggle and anxiety, like, um, she Nina starts out, like we talked about, like she's got this really childlike voice and she's like, oh, so pretty and pink. And she's got all the stuffed animals in her room. And then as she starts to like grow up, it's like, it's sort of like she has a crush on the director, you know? That's like, I kind of think of that as like the first crush and the awkwardness that goes along with that. And like, uh, then she has a scene where uh, he she is going to go and like masturbate. And he's like, oh, it's, so it's like kind of that like own self-discovery and sexuality that shows up. And then later on, like, the jealousy and kind of nervousness she gets about, uh, Lily getting more attention than she is. And so it's like out of that, it's just like all of the struggle and hormone and, uh, all the uncomfortable things about growing up. I think this movie does a really good job of telling that in like a really neat way. Yeah. A really, a, a really sexually
1: charged, uncomfortable way.
0: Yeah. Which I think makes sense because that stage of your life is so hard to go through. I mean, there's so many things, not just like like menta- mentally you're changing, but like now your body is also changing. You're expecting to, you're becoming an adult. You're going to kind of start to become the person that you will be. Uh, and I, I, I like that struggle that's going on with her. I, I really like the idea of like a, like, like I said, coming of age, but I also think it's like, like uh, your sexuality coming of age. Like how do we, how do we develop that as we get older, as we're going through puberty
1: and all these, all these different things. Yeah. And I like, I, I like that aspect a lot. Today. Did you see some of the swans uh, in a room? Like, there's a black swan stuffed animal? Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, there's, like, some swans in her bathtub. In the bathtub, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of great imagery in this. A lot of fun stuff.
2: If it's a story about puberty for her, does it make sense for her to kill herself at the end? I feel like that makes it difficult for that to blend into the story
0: well. I think that's part of what Calvin is saying that Darren Aronofsky does, is, like, this is not just one story and Mm -hmm. that's it. I think that there are a lot of elements that... Like, I don't think I'm wrong for having, like, like that theory or taking yeah, that yeah. idea away don't, from
1: it. Don't worry. I also don't think you're wrong.
0: Thank you. <laughs> but, I, but, and I like, I like I really like Calvin's idea of, like, the absent father and, like, the overbearing mother. And, and I I think that this movie, that's why I think Darren Ar- Aronofsky makes such great movies, because you can pull so many cool ideas out of it, and they all seem to jive. Like, I, I can believe that that is part of the movie. Maybe it's not the only function of the movie, but I really like coming away with this and being like, oh, yeah, this is this going through puberty sucks no it's really awkward and and there's a lot of struggle in it and i I think it's conveyed in this movie
2: yeah totally i i I like that take from I, i like that take i'm just that changes the end of the movie if you look at it at that light like what does her killing herself mean if it's a story of puberty is this is this too much for her is she overwhelmed and she just has to end it all or something like that
0: that's a much darker take. I, I, I stopped mine there well, <laughs> before that. And that's also like the point of Swan Lake though.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean on a visual on on just like a, a literal uh, reason, um, mm-hmm. she kills herself because she is not because she is unloved. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you could you could think of the fact that uh Toma loving um, you know, dying for the love of uh, the audience. Like, that's really the thing. Like, she's so given over to that mm-hmm. um, that she becomes the literal personification of the story. She wants to be perfect. Yeah. So, but yeah, like, that's... And that's also like why I think he is such an a, a controversial director is because some things... Are given more attention in certain places, hit with other people than they do other ones. I mean, despite the fact that he's always refer- uh, referencing like, uh, like sexually charged themes um, and biblical uh, themes, which a lot of people don't really like. A lot of people don't like Noah, even though from what I understand, it's fairly biblically accurate. Like Noah is not like a good story about a good dude. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty messed up in some areas. And he, uh, from what I understand, it was fairly literal. Um, but that's controversial to some people, which yeah. is crazy if you don't know your own book. Um, but that like, that's the thing. It's like, Oh, you mean controversial? Like Christians thought it was controversial? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the thing. It's we like, need to do We need to do a Noah. Yeah. We podcast. need to do, we need to just do, I bought all of Aronofsky's movies now, so I have all of them. So we'll just, uh, we're just going to indulge my fantasy of getting through my backlog. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I think I'm ready to move into final thoughts. McKenna. what do you think of this one? Final thoughts? Yeah. Final thoughts. And Do you rating. have other thoughts? I had one more thought. Okay. okay. So I,
2: I mentioned earlier that I thought that this movie was a little heavy handed. Did you guys not get bothered by the fact that Toma basically outlines what the movie is about very early on?
1: No, no, I don't because it's, it's, uh, because it's, it's layers, it's layers upon layers. And sometimes we, uh, like to make, to make, I think like, a story that hits the first that that someone can digest the first time through, you need lines like that. Like, Enemy was one movie that I needed to watch two times through and then still be frustrated and then look up uh, some more of the archetypes about what's going on. When Tomah does things like that, there are still all of these other elements that I can discover, but I still get the gist of what he's trying to say. So that's why I'm okay with that. I, I agree with that. I, I think having
0: one element of your story be obvious is not a problem if there is, like Calvin said, if there's layers below it that you can like discover and, and find out there there's more substance to this movie than just the obvious narrative. So that's why I don't have a problem with like explaining like that this is just a, it's Nina going from the white swan and discovering the black swan like okay I, I, I don't have a problem with that because i think there's so much more going on like mm-hmm. well, we just we I mean, we just talked about Jung for 30 minutes so there's clearly more than just that story and that's why i don't have a problem with like an obvious element to it
2: okay it surprised me that they had a character just lay out pretty early what what the movie was going to be about so as natalie portman evolved i was like oh well if she's doing all of these if she's doing all these actions so far she's gonna kill herself by the end and then it's not a surprise to you So it it made me think about um, The Lighthouse and how that movie would have been really terrible if one of the characters outlined very early what the movie was going to be about. And then by the end the movie happens, you're like, okay, none of that surprised me.
0: I think it's fine to know the story. It's all the Perhaps, stuff that happens yeah. along the way. It's all like it's all like it's that it's the character developing through the story that is sure. what's interesting. It's not like the literal narrative itself is not the interesting yeah. part. Yeah,
1: it's we've, really more a bit of a foreshadowing. Fair. Instead.
2: Yeah, we've watched many movies where there was a mystery and it was like an onion I had to unwrap and see layer by layer. Yeah, this I felt like had more had had less layers.
0: Narratively, yeah, you're right. It, it's it's mm-hmm. it's exploring like the more psychological aspects. Mm-hmm. That's where the layers are at. Okay, that's uh. Yeah, that's what I think. But what? Uh, how many? How many feathers do you give this one?
2: Out of how many?
0: I don't know. What's the average amount of feathers on a swan? No, I'm just playing. Out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- th- three,
2: three and a half, three three and a three and a quarter. Okay. Wow. That's really. I-, I really didn't like <laughs> that this movie laid out what it was about, and it didn't. It wasn't a puzzle for me to solve like it, like The Lighthouse was right. or Mother. Or...
0: You keep comparing this movie to The Lighthouse, which is one of the best movies ever made. So it's tough to... Yeah,
2: <laughs> No, I, true. I, I see what you mean. I, I imagine this movie is trying to say something and many movies don't try to say something. And movies like The Lighthouse or Mother or Under the Skin are movies that are trying to be very... Not very clear, but they're supposed to make you think. And yeah. this movie really didn't make me think. Uh, the characters were very obvious archetypes and i didn't have to ponder it like i said i didn't take many notes on this
0: it wasn't something that i had to sit down and mull over for days okay no that's fair i mean that's not like a like i said i think there's a lot of takes you can have on this because this like he makes controversial movies so i I think it's interesting i don't think any of us are going to have the same
2: certainly i think it's interesting to view it as a like a a puberty piece that that's that's an interesting take i didn't come to
0: i'm glad i could throw that out there yeah uh
1: calvin what do you uh where do you put this movie at? Yeah, so I would say like all of the it's it's all of the it's all of the psychological stuff. It's the camera work. It's the the cutting. The the Aronofsky aesthetic. And all of these beautiful mirror shots. It's just a wonderful film. I think it's slightly better than Mother, um, so I'll give it an eight point nine feathers. Okay, I definitely think it's better than Mother, but uh, I,
0: I I do too. I love this movie. I because I hadn't seen it. I I don't think maybe. Like I saw it a little after it came out and I don't know that I had revisited it since then. So I was like, I really liked going back and watching this. And there was so much extra stuff that I certainly didn't grasp the first time I went through it. I really like kind of the idea of uh, self-actualization and self-realization in this movie. Mm. I think those are like, it's cool to have both those aspects in it. Um, All the psychological stuff I think worked out well for me. Like we talked about all the layers to it. Uh, The score is great. I talked about the the film work I think is awesome. Um, Yeah, so I I think I, I probably put this at an eight. I really like this movie. And I, I, I Darren Aronofsky is totally growing on me. I think he's he, he's becoming one of my favorite directors. Despite me not liking Mother, I think there's still a lot of interest, interesting stuff in that. Mm-hmm. And Black Swan I think
1: is like of of his movies I've seen so far, like this is my favorite one for sure. Even I, more I, than well, you didn't like The Fountain at the beginning. You said that grew on you, but you probably not That's what read I'm saying. Is, is he has
0: there's something about his movies that it's like uh, I like even Mother. We started out and I was like I almost don't want to talk about it because i don't like it and then i ended up kind of putting it like as a middle of the road
1: movie so i mean that that even grew on me yeah i think that's the thing is like his films are just so 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 deep and when i watch them i get a sense that there's more to this that i just don't understand and then i just keep peeling back layers that's what makes them so much fun right like as i was even scripting mother i was like wow this movie is getting better yeah
0: (laughs) uh yeah so yeah we're wrapping this one up um You can find us on pretty much any platform that you want to search your podcast on, like uh, Apple Music and uh, Spotify. Uh, We also upload these all to YouTube. Um, So go ahead and join in on the comments if you want to leave us an email at nowthisispodcasting100 at gmail.com. I love interacting. I I reply to pretty much everything. Uh, So yeah, go ahead and give us your thoughts. If we did good, if we did bad, if you like our takes, or if you don't, uh, just let us know. And uh, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.